I want to try to help you to understand some scriptures here relating to this subject here tonight. There are numerous subjects that sometimes we wonder, uh, why does the Bible say this and why does the Bible say that? And whenever you look at it real close, there's never, ever a contradiction in the Word of God, ever. Never is. And uh, I'm going to show you here tonight where it may appear to be that, but it's not. And this is why some people go off in a certain direction, because they take one belief and go with it without ever looking what the other scriptures have to say about the same thing. So I'm going to start here with these first three verses that I have at the number one here. And if you look at number one here, I'm going to read Romans 8, uh, Ephesians 1, and then Revelation 17, 8. And this is understanding what's called the doctrine of predestination. Predestination is predetermined. Predestined is already determined how the outcome will be at the end. I'm going to read then from Revelations chapter 8, verse 28. Is everybody with me? Does everybody have a handout? Okay, I'm assuming that you do. You do. You got one. Okay. Uh, verse 28. This is Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that are that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called them, he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, I'm emphasizing here, and, and this is the negative view of it, I'm emphasizing the two statements here, and that is that the foreknowledge of God, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And that's repeated down in verse 30. Whoever whom, uh, moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called, and so forth. Now, I'm going to go to Ephesians 1, 4. Ephesians 1, 4. And I'm going to read a scripture very similar to that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And I'm presenting to you here the doctrine of predestination. According, verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then reading in verse 11, to strengthen this, the thought that we're presenting here to you, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, I've got, I've got a little note right down here. I'm going to read Revelation in just a second. But I've got a little note down here where it says the word uh, predestination is found only four times in the Bible, twice in Romans, twice in Ephesians, and I've just read those verses to you where they're found. Now, I'm going to also go to Revelation 17, 8. Revelation 17, 8. And uh, I want to read this scripture to you. This is speaking about the Antichrist, incidentally, and our subject is not to do with that. So I don't want you to get sidelined with those thoughts. Here's what it says. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottom of the spit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written. Look at this. These are means of those that would be lost. Those on earth whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. All right. So here's a scripture here that implies that there is a book from the foundation of the world. We are predestined. That we are predestined. One way or the other. Now, I'm going to give you a second handout right now. I'm going to give you a second handout. And uh, I, this one here will explain what is predestination, where it came from, 
and who blew, who believes it today. So I want you to take this one. I'm going to refer to it. This is not our. Le- this is part of the lesson that we have originally handed out to you. And this is the subject of predestination itself. The doctrine of predestination. And I'm going to put that copy up here, and we're going to look at it for a few moments. Now, before I get started, let me say one thing here. It is not our policy, never has been our policy, to knock any other denomination, any other church group, any other. In fact, I have the highest respect for anyone who's trying to live uh, Christian life, whatever measure they do or whatever measure they are in. And I do that. So what I'm saying here is only giving you facts. I'm not saying it to put any church group, denomination, or anything like that. Put them down. It's not that at all. But I'm just giving you factual things. Uh, any Bible scholar can know, knows this. And uh, it's all recorded in church history. I have church history books that would, that would fill this table if I stacked them up side by side like this. Church history books. And... Uh, they can tell you, they tell you all these kind of things, and uh, I'm just giving you a little information here on what Bible scholars already know. So look with me, if you would, here, the doctrine of predestination. Number one, I'm going to start with number one. I'm just going to go down the line. You've got that in your hand. Just follow with me very closely. The doctrine of predestination was introduced to Christianity by John Calvin in 1537. This is where the doctrine of predestination comes from. It is the belief that every living person on earth is born to be saved or lost. You're born to be saved or lost, and there is nothing anyone can do about it. In other words, each of us are predestined to go either to heaven or hell from birth. In other words, we are already predestined. And this is the scriptures that they use that says we are predestined. Then they use that scripture also in Revelation where it says that, uh, the, the, the book of life from the foundation of the world. Our names are written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And I'm going to give you the answer to all of these so that you're not, you'll understand what is really being said, everything. Uh, look at number two here on understanding the doctrine of predestination. Number two there. Another term used to describe the doctrine of predestination is Calvinism. That's because John Calvin is the one who introduced it. John Calvin was one of the Reformation leaders Martin Luther was probably the first. Uh, he nailed those 95 theses on that Catholic church door, October 31st, 1715. And uh, he nailed it on there and saying, this is what we believe anymore. We do not believe what the Catholic church believes. And shortly after that, some 20 years ago later, uh, John Calvin came out and he opposed the Catholic church as well. He had doctrines. But John Calvin and Luther did not always agree on things. Uh, John Calvin tried to get Luther to entertain the thought of predestination. Luther says, no, I can't go that route. I won't. And uh, Luther was the founder of the, of the Lutheran church. Uh, J- John Calvin was the founder of the Presbyterian church. And they were the founders. Uh, John Calvin had his great church in, 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 uh, in, in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. And had a huge church there. And it was very... Uh, very, very strict on everything. Uh, I'm going to move on here. Number three, John Calvin was the founder of the Presbyterian Church. And through this, this denomination, Calvinism has been continued to be perpetuated. So that the Presbyterians, though the people as individuals may not subscribe to it, they may not believe it, they may not even know that their organization stands for that. Yet the basic belief of the Presbyterian Church is that you're born to be saved or you're born to be lost. We are predestined to be saved. We are predestined from the foundation of the world. And they believe that. That's why they're not big on missions. And they, consequently, they have just sort of been gone into a small shell of their own. And uh, they have not been evangelistic throughout the whole world like some of the other churches were. Now, let me move on a little further because this goes beyond that. Look at number four here. I'm going to read number four here to you. The doctrine of eternal security, eternal security is a spinoff of the doctrine of predestination. 
It was adopted by the founding fathers of the Baptist faith who felt the concept of pure Calvinism to be too severe for the average person. They were right, of course, by emphasizing the positive that is saved and diminishing the negative, the lost. They were more able to make the gospel more attractive and evangelism and world missions more meaningful. This brought about the term once saved, always saved, with nothing being said about the lost. So when the Baptists adopted this doctrine, they simply said, we believe in once saved, always saved. Once you saved, you cannot be lost. And this is what they believe. Now, you may not know that they believe that, but that's, it's that way. They, they do believe that. And it's in their uh, bylaws and everything else and so forth. Now, I'm going to go to number five here, and then I'm going to quickly go back to our original paper here. Number five. To say once you're saved, you're always saved is to evoke the inevitable question. But what if a person, saved person backslides, fails God, returns to sin, or is he or she lost or saved? You know, and this that question is usually answered one of two ways by the Calvinist. And here's a once you're you're saved. You're always saved, and it doesn't matter what you do or how wicked you are. Quote, and they quote a scripture here from John 10, 28, 29. You can't be plucked from the Father's hand. Uh, when you read those verses in John 10, 28, 29, you can't be plucked from the Father's hand. It says no man can pluck you from the Father's hand. No man can pluck you from the Father's hand. Now, let me go to B here very quickly. The other answer is he or she was never saved to start with. They claimed to be saved. They, they were a Christian for a while, but when they backslid and went back out in the world, they never were saved to start with, so therefore their name was not originally written down in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do you understand here where we're going and what we're talking about here? Now, I'm going to leave this doctrine of predestination and go back to our lesson that we're looking at, which is what I want to follow through with here today and give you some scriptures here because... This is a very, very serious matter, and it's a very important matter. Uh, years ago, I was, I was asked to, uh, to be the, uh, of our youth camp, to be the principal of our youth camps in Ocala, Florida. We had, I think, about three or four youth camps every summer, uh, different age groups and so forth. I was asked to be the principal specifically of an age group that was like 9, 10, 11-year-olds. And uh, <clears throat> I never will forget. And in those meetings, we would have evangelism. These kids, they, they played. They had fun. They, they had recreation. We taught them classes. Uh, they went through the whole thing. And, and then they went to bed at night, slept all night, got up next morning, did it all over again. And then at nighttime, when the evening came, we had services, and it was, it was evangelistic. Those children would come to the altar and pray and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We had many children receive the Holy Ghost. When I say many, I'm talking about scores of children receiving the Holy Ghost that would receive the Holy Ghost in those meetings. And at first we would baptize them, but the pastor says, let us baptize them back in our own church so our people can see what is happening to these children here at this camp. And said, okay, so we did that. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because that in one of those services, a couple of boys came to me and they said, Brother Myers, there's a fellow over here, I'll call him Junior. I don't know, I can't remember his name. Junior over here does not believe he can ever be saved. I said, really? They said, yeah, he believes and he tells us that no matter what he does, he cannot be saved. He's already determined in his own mind he's one of those that cannot be saved because he heard this doctrine taught or told about Somebody instructed him. Somehow or another, he heard it. And here he was only about 11, 11 years old. And so I proceeded then to talk to Junior personally and privately to try to get him to understand that anybody can be saved. And at first he would say, no, no. He said, some people are born to be saved. Some people are born to be lost. And I'm one of those who's born to be lost. And I would ask him, why do you know that? He said, I just know inside of me that I am. You see what I'm saying? This is some of the damage that can cause people to feel like, well, I'm just one of those that can never be saved. 
not just a child, but especially adults who would know the word better even than a child. I spent days working on that young man, talking to him personally, showing him scripture in the Bible. Finally, he came around to saying, okay, I'm going to go down and pray and I'm going to see what happens. And I'm going to believe the Lord. I said, you believe the Lord and trust the Lord and pray and ask God to fill you with his spirit. I said, you can receive the spirit of God and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that young man began to pray and pray and feel God. And one night he received the baptism of the brother. Last, one, of the, one of the last nights of the camp meeting, received the baptism, jumping up and down, up and down, jumping all over the place because God had baptized him with the Holy Ghost. Now, the only reason I'm telling you that story is that this is an example of somebody who has a preconceived notion. Some people are born to be saved. Some people are born to be lost. And that's not true at all. I'm going to give you some scriptures here. Uh, first of all, I'm going to look at those scriptures that we just looked at very closely here and see what they really mean. So hang on to your bonnet. Everybody with me, get your feet in. And uh, we're going to go back now to those three verses. Then I'm going to take you to some other verses as well. Look in Romans chapter uh, 8 and verse 28 with us. I want you to look at this very closely here. And we know that all things work together for good to them who are the, who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Notice the plural uh, pronoun here of them. Notice here that says them uh, who are the called of according to his purpose. Notice verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. For whom is a plural form. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Not him, but them. You understand what I'm saying? And this is speaking of the church that God had already preordained from the beginning of time. God ordained that there would one day be a church from the foundation of the world. The church is ordained. But not we as individuals in, in the church. We are not preordained, but the church is preordained. That's why, folks, you want to always stay in the church. Stay in the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. The church is ordained. That's why Jesus told the disciples, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon this rock. And that rock that he's talking about is the church of the Lord. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm just trying to tell you here today that this is what the scriptures here is referring to when it talks about predestination. Brother Myers, do you believe in predestination? Yes, but I believe in the predestination of the church, not the predestination of individuals in the church. And I'll show you in a minute how that that's also very true. So it goes on to say here, it uses the plural, the, the plural pronoun, them, they, and so forth. Uh, let me read 30 again here. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called whom he called them. He also justified whom he justified them. He also justified. And verse 31, what shall we then say? It's all it's all plural. And then you get on down to 32 and it says, uh, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. The speaking of the church, the body of Christ. And then the word us all and us and all the way down through the scriptures in verse 34, it speaks about us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Verse 36, it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep. It's all about the church, the collectively group of the church. It goes right on down through that entire eighth chapter, talking about with the plural pronoun of us and, and we and so forth. Then when you get into chapter 9, it goes into the singular because the whole subject changes. And if you look at chapter 9, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bringeth me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Because here Paul is talking individually now about himself. Do you understand it goes on to talk about my end and so forth? And I won't get into all of those details. Only to say that when you speak of the predestination factor here, you're speaking of the collectiveness of of the, and it's the church. The church is predestined. 
God predestined it from the foundation of the world, that there would be one day a church. He called Abraham. When he called Abraham and said he called a chosen people, he knew one day that there would be a church that would be all nationalities of people in the world. He knew that God, that was foreordained. Praise the Lord. And so that's when Jesus came. Of course, he came. John prophesied about the church coming. They called the kingdom of God on earth, the kingdom of heaven on earth, and so forth. Uh, let me give you another verse of scripture here, that same one in Ephesians, in Ephesians, where it says here, uh, according as he had, I'm reading 1-4, this is where I read to start with, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. The us is the church, that we, the church, should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us, the church, not predestined me or predestined you, predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ and so forth. And it goes on to talk about uh, the us and the we factor in verse 6. It talks about us. Verse 7, it says, in whom we have redemption and us in verse 8 and and so forth. Right on down and uh, right on down until it goes It goes to verse 11. Verse 12 is we. It, it all The plural pronoun is spelled out very plainly. Plainly and very clearly here that this is speaking of the church. Do you understand here what I'm saying now? That the word predestination found four times in the Bible and is claimed by some people meaning that you are born to be saved or lost does not refer to us as individuals. It means that the church was predestined from the foundation of the world. And that explains why these other scriptures that we're going to read to you make sense. Now, I'm going to go to some other verses here and uh, go to number three here. Are you still with me? Yeah. I'm on a doctrinal subject here. I know that. Look at number three here, if you would. This is confirmed by the multitude of use of plural pronouns in the verses of Romans. I just got through with that, so we want to go uh, a little bit further. Let me go... Uh, before I go into four, I'm going to go to four here. Before I go to four, I want you to look at Romans three for a moment. Romans three. This sort of knocks that whole doctrine of predestination of individuals, sort of knocks it in the head. And I do I do I believe in predestination? Yes, because the Bible says it, but it's of the church. God predestined the church from the foundation of the world. That would be a people called by his name. And here we are, praise the Lord. And not only us, but the generations all that preceded us for the last 2,000 years. Now, I'm here in Romans chapter 3, and look at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Look at 12. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. If you want to say that, you know, there's some that's born to be saved, some born to be lost. Look at verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This puts all of us unsaved. Over here to 520. Wherefore, as one man sinned, entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Do you understand now what I'm saying here? I'm just pointing out some scriptures here. Now, let's go a little bit further. I want to go to number four here. Scriptures that prove it is God's will that all men be saved. In other words, if the doctrine of predestination is that of individuals, some men are born to be saved and some are born to be lost, then those that are born to be lost, it's not God's will or could not be God's will for them to be saved. Is that right? Am I right? Let me say that again. If predestination is about the individual and some people are born to be lost who are individuals, then how can it be God's will for everybody to be saved? And yet it is God's will for all men to be saved. It's God's will for that to happen. Now I'm going to give you scripture for that. So we're in, the, <coughs> we're in number four here. Look in 1 Timothy 2.4. 1 Timothy 2.4. Praise God. And if you've got your Bible, I'm going to read 3 and 4 together. I'll read 3 and 4. 
All right. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So that scripture right there alone knocks the whole subject of individual predestination, that some people are born to be lost. That knocks that all in the head. So that all men can be saved. Now, we're going to add to that. I want you to go with me to the book of 1 Peter. I think that's in your scriptures there. Uh, 2 Peter it is. 2 Peter 3.9. That's where I am right here. Everybody with me on your chart there. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Everybody see that? So you got two strong verses of scripture here that says it is the will of God that all men be saved. It's his will. So it cannot be a thing where that God has predetermined some people are going to be forever lost. That can't, it can't be that. Not and say it's his will for everybody to be saved or for all men to come unto repentance. And so these scriptures here bear that out. Let me give you another verse of scripture. Look at Acts 17, 25, 27, and 30. I'm going to have you turn over there with me. Acts 27. This is Paul preaching on Mars Hill. Paul preaching on Mars Hill. Acts 17, 25. I say it's Mars Hill. I don't believe it is either. I think it's, yes, yeah, Mars Hill. Verse 22. Then Paul stood on the midst of Mars Hill. All right, let me go to verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands. This is him talking about Jesus. He was preaching to these people. He said, I'm going to preach unto you the unknown God. And Paul is preaching away here in verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands <clears throat> as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. And Paul is letting these, these people on, in, in Athens, Greece, on Mars Hill, he's letting them know you folks can find God, you can find the Lord, all you have to do is reach out because he's not very far and it's his will for you to be saved. Now I'm going down to verse 30, that same chapter. And the times of this ignorance God winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in which he should judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained unto whereon he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that it is God's will for all people to be saved. These are scriptures. So we've got one here. We've got them in Romans, we got it in Ephesians, we got it in First Timothy, rather, we got it in Second uh, Peter, we got it in the book of Acts. Uh, let's go to the book of Matthew eleven twenty eight. Look at Matthew eleven. Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is the Lord speaking here, Jesus. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look at the word all. i got a ring around that verse in my Bible. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this scripture lets us know that he calls all to come unto him and that he will give them rest for their needs and have them to find what they need. One more scripture. I'm going to give you it in John chapter 3, 315, and that's the one I'm going to give you right here. We're talking about scriptures that prove it's God's will that all men be saved. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just giving you 
and there's other scriptures. I'm just, I don't want to just flood you here until you say, boy, this is choking, choking a horse here. <laughs> All right, John 3 and 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is old familiar hat. We are all familiar with these scriptures. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So do you understand what I'm saying here? That people are not just born to be saved or born to be lost. And when you have that predestination concept in your head and you think, well, from from the very beginning, we're born to be saved, we're born to be lost. Uh, we automatically think to ourselves, well, I guess uh, I guess evangelism doesn't mean anything. I mean, why try to save anybody? Why try to evangelize? Because, uh, you know, it doesn't ha- it doesn't mean anything. Yes, it does mean everything because God, through his grace, has offered salvation to all men, men and women. You know that. I use the word men because the Bible uses it in that fashion. Mankind. But God has offered it unto all mankind and whosoever believes. So it's up to us then to respond to that grace of God by believing. And by believing, we act upon our believing, and that is performing the acts of faith, the acts of faith, which is repentance and baptism and Seeking God for the Holy Ghost because he's promised to give it unto us and so forth. Praise God. Uh, that third scripture at the top up here, let me, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and answer that one for you. Revelation 17, 8. Uh, if you look at that verse of scripture again with us very quickly. I, I was going to cover that down at the bottom, but I'm going to jump to it now. 17, 8. Look at this one. The beast that thou sawest and was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And they say, you see, these are people whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. No, no, that's not what it means at all. Let me read it to you like it's supposed to be read. It says, written in the book of life. From the foundation of the world, it says here, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. What's from the foundation of the world is not your name written in the book. It is the book that's from the foundation of the world. You understand what I'm saying? I don't think so. I'm going to say that again. Amen. Look at that very closely here. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and all ascended out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book. And it's in reference to the book of life from the foundation of the world. The book is from the foundation of the world, not your name. You understand what I'm saying here? But they, they say, oh, that means that your name was written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation. No, your name wasn't written there. These other scriptures contradict that. But what is from the foundation of the world is the book. Let me go a little bit further. <laughs> Your name can be blotted out of the book. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, too. We're going, your name can be blotted out of the book. I'll give you a scripture on that in a few minutes when we get back down to the subject. <clears throat> your name can be blotted out of the book. When you are saved, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's right. And when you backslide, your name it can be blotted out. And there's scripture in the Bible. I'll give you a scripture for it in a few moments. But it can be blotted out. Now, I'm going to go, I'll come back to that. And that's down here at number six. I'm going to talk to you about number five first. And then we'll pick up on number six about the book. Everybody with me still? I'm treading deep water here. But you guys are smart in here. I know that. You, you, you grasp things good. Praise the Lord. We got some of the best. We got some of the smartest people in, the, in our congregation Bible-wise. I believe with all my heart. I do. You're smart people. I know because some of you ask me some tough questions sometimes. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. All right. Uh, I want to uh, go to number six here. Let me pick up where I left off here. I'm going to go to verse 
uh, number five, it is. I'm going to go to uh, number five here, and I'm going to read this portion first, and then we'll go to scriptures. Look at number five. Scriptures that prove anyone can be lost. Now, we just looked at the subject, anyone can be saved. Now, we're going to look at some that anyone can be lost. Even individuals who are presently saved can be lost. This verse refutes the doctrine of eternal security, once saved, always saved. You know, when people say, oh, once saved, always saved, you won't ever be lost, don't ever worry about it. Just go to church, pay your tithes, just keep your name on the church roll, and uh, if you get out of there and sin a little bit, mess around a little bit and everything, don't worry about it, you're okay, because you, your name is on the book and you can't be lost. Now. No, 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 no. You can be lost. Any of us can be lost if we walk away from God. Any of us can be lost. <clears throat> and I'm just pointing this out. These verses refute the doctrine of eternal security, once saved, always saved, a milder form of the doctrine of predestination. Now, look at Second Peter 2.20. 2 Peter 2.20. Now, I'm reading, you, I'm reading from the Word of God here. This is not uh, J.E. Meyer's doctrine. This is from the Bible. Everybody with me? For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, this is talking about people who have been in the church saved. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled, excuse me, <coughs> therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. And so this is Peter's uh, reference to that. He talks about it. This is all on number five. I'm still here in five. And I'm going to go here to the secretary. Look in Romans 11, 21. Romans 11, 21. I'm just giving you scriptures here to substantiate what we're saying here. That anybody can be lost. Even after we're saved. This is 11, 21. For if God spared not the natural branches. He's speaking of Israel here whom he loved. And he forsook them and went to the Gentiles. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. He's talking to the church. This is, this is Paul writing to the Roman church. Take heed lest he spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity. But toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, they also shall be cut off. Or thou shalt. Otherwise, thou also shall be cut off. So what I'm pointing out to you here is simply that Paul is writing and saying that anybody can be, can be lost because the scriptures tell us that this is the case involved here. Uh, let me go have you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm substantiating these things, folks, is what I'm doing here with these scriptures. The ninth verse here, this is Paul talking about himself. But I keep under my body and bring it un into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, I, even after I preached to other people, I could be a castaway. He spoke in one place also that we could be a shipwreck. We could be a shipwreck. He said, after we have walked with God and served the Lord, that we wind up as a shipwreck. He talked about that in, in one scripture as well. Uh, I won't read that one, but I'll move on here very quickly here. Now, I want you to go to Revelations chapter 2 and verse 5. I want to show you something about the uh, seven churches of Asia that's mentioned here. There are several verses here. And 2, 4, and 5 refers to the Ephesian church. Now, these were churches that had been already founded. They were churches that were belonged to, the, that were in the kingdom of God. 
And uh, Ephesians was established by Paul in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. These other uh, seven churches, the, the other six, were established by John, John who wrote the book of Revelation. Now look at 2 and 4. This is the Lord speaking here now and rebuking this church. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. He's telling the Ephesian church that. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Look at that. And repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Does this sound like once saved, always saved? It doesn't. Let me go to another scripture, verse 14 of that same chapter. Chapter 2, verse 14. And uh, this is the Pergamos church. He says in verse 14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, which is two-facedness. Two-faced, say one thing, do something else. Who taught Balaam to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, uh, which was a doctrine that cropped up in that early church period of time. I won't get into detail on that. But anyhow, verse 6, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, this is the Lord opposing those that would hold doctrines that he knew that were anti-God-fearing holiness doctrines. This uh, doctrine of the Nicolaitans was an anti-holiness doctrine. In other words, we don't believe what, what uh, we don't believe in holiness, and they tried to live by it. Uh, I'm just pointing out to you here these various uh, doctrines and things here that's mentioned here. Uh, I'm going to go over here to chapter three. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 15, I know thy works. I think that's the next one here. Yeah, 3, 15, 16. Look at 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were hot or cold, cold or hot. So that because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, that's rejection. That's not once saved, always saved. Now look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Folks, this is the beauty about the Lord. The Lord wants us to be saved. He wants us to be saved, but he has given us the opportunity to make that decision ourselves. He gave us a free will. And we have the will to decide whether we will be saved or we will not be saved. And so here is a church that is lukewarm, that's failing God. And yet the Lord says, I am pleading for you to come and get back right with me so that you will not be lost, so that you will be saved. That's not somebody that has been predetermined they're going to be saved or lost from the beginning of time. I'm going to read verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Well, thank the Lord. God sometimes does chasten us. Sometimes he does rebuke us. You know, if you live for God very long, you probably have had that experience. But it's because he loves us. Praise the Lord. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. So all you got to do is say, Lord, I want to be saved. I'm standing at the door knocking. Praise the Lord. What, are you, what, what is standing at the door knocking? He, the Lord's standing at the door knocking. He wants to come into us. That means he's dealing with us. He's talking to us. He convicts us. Amen. We can come to church. I haven't been to church for a while. I come to church. And boy, you feel the presence of the Lord. And sometimes feel God dealing with you saying, you know what? It's time to get back and start going to church now. You know, this thing about hanging out, staying out of church forever. Uh, let's get past this thing now. You know, let's get back to church, you know. And uh, that's what the Lord wants us to do so that we can. Uh, and he will send his spirit out there to deal with us, talk to us, 
and try to pull us back in that direction. Praise God. Now, I'm going to move on very quickly here. I talked to you a while ago about understanding uh, the book of salvation. Get a drink of water. I got a good drink that time. Everybody say praise the Lord. All right. Now, I'm going to have you look at Revelations 17, 8 once again. This is one we looked at a while ago. Revelation 17, 8. And uh, let me get to it. I'm sorry. The beast that thou sawest was his not shall ascend out of the bottom of the pit and shall go into perdition. They that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names is not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. We explain to you here that whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. That, that, that was speaking of the book that was from the foundation of the world, not their names written in the book. Uh, I just want to give you a heads up on some things that our names can be, can be erased from that. Uh, look into Revelation 3.5. Revelation 3.5. This is 3.5. I was just in chapter 3 while ago. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. You ought to see that? He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. That's, going, that's the church. That's what we'll be in heaven, be clothed in white. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, which means he can. And I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. Now, this thing about blotting out the name and so forth, this goes way back in the Bible. Let me show you here about the book of life. I want you to go with me, if you would, over here to uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Exodus it is. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 32. Exodus 32 and verse 32. Yet now, this is Moses talking to God. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, Moses tells the Lord, blot me out, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And Moses is saying, God... You know, if you're not, if you're gonna, if you're gonna blot out all these children of Israel that's been sent, that has gone astray, blot me out too. Just blot me out too, because he was saying that that these are the people that you've given me to lead. You know, here's what the Lord said in verse 33. The Lord said unto Moses, Whomsoever, whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So do you understand here? That in that book of life, we can be lost. So anybody can be lost, anybody can save. So what does that boil down to, Brother Myers? It boils down to this. Every one of us must hold fast to the faith that we have. Folks, when you've got the truth, hold fast to it. Amen. Repentance in Jesus' name. and Baptism in Jesus' name. Repentance. Baptism in Jesus' name. And being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. With the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That's what happened in the early church. And, and that, that doctrine has not slipped away. It's there. And we hold fast to it. The acts of holiness. Living for God right. Walking right. Talking right. Going to the right places. Staying away from the wrong places. Not doing the wrong thing. All of these things. Not having secret sins or hidden sins and all that little dinky things. Put all that stuff away. And say, God, I want to walk with you in truth and spirit of holiness. And one day, folks, one day it'll happen. There's going to be a trumpet that'll sound. Praise God. That trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain. I like that because God is going to raise the dead first. Because they're the first ones that lived and have died and gone on. 
So if the first, they shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something, heaven's going to be a joyous and a wonderful thing. I was just reading today some material that my mother left me. And I put it in the envelope and I put it away and haven't looked at it for four years. And today I was looking through it and I was reading some of the things that she had, little notes, little letters. And it touched my heart because she was saying, I'm going on. I'm going to be with, the, with Jesus. And uh, I know that you have, you know, you've loved me and everything. But over there, we'll all be with the Lord. It will all be together. And it was like saying, just remember, there is a hope beyond this life. Praise the Lord. And I was reading that today. And folks, we have that. We have that. Don't ever let anything keep you and hinder you from that walk. And if there is anything, say, God, I want to get back to you as close as I can. And I want to live for you with all of my heart and with all of my soul. I wonder if you'd just stand with me. And I know we always pray, but I want you to just just lift your hands a little bit here today. And I want you to pray tonight. And let's just talk to God for a moment. And let's say, God, we want to be saved and we want our loved ones to be saved. Amen. Would you reach out to the Lord right now? Our Lord Jesus, our wonderful Savior, our soon coming King. God, you love your people so much. Lord, that you would even stand at the door and knock for those that would get cold and indifferent to you, Lord. That you would want us to be saved. You want us to go to heaven. Oh, God, but you have given us the free will. You've given us that free will. God, we thank you for that, Lord. But we thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you've extended the invitation, Lord. And so for so many of us, God, we were nobodies and we were nothings. And we had nothing in our background and we had no right to anything, Lord. But because you loved us and because you had mercy upon us, And because you extended the grace unto us, Lord, we are part of your family. We are part of the body of Christ. We are part of this kingdom of God on earth, Lord, looking for your soon coming. Jesus, we thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be in your house, to know your name, to study your word. We thank you for the spirit that you put inside of us, Lord, to give us strength and power to live for you till you come. We glorify your wonderful name with all of our hearts. We do praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said, praise the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.